This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Hello Adam. Impromptu, well not so much impromptu, it was planned, but straight after the final whistle. How are you doing? Uh, good, I'm good. I just poured myself a Guinness, uh, big big 5-1 victory. Plenty of things to talk about, some some negatives, some positives, but uh, after a game like that you can't help but feel good. Yeah, I'm slightly envious there of your of your Guinness because I'm uh, I'm off the alcohol tonight after that victory. I'm up in very very early in the morning UK time around five o'clock. Hopefully off to go and watch Vincent Company's Andalect in Brussels. So uh, early night for me. As soon as we jump off here, and, and by the time this goes out, I should be hurtling across what, the Atlantic Ocean? No, not the Atlantic Ocean, that's completely the wrong way, uh, the, the, the Channel Sea, and heading over to Belgium. God, my geography skills uh, need, need a brush-up, but yeah, um, let's get into it. But before we do, obviously, as always, if you're new around here, or if you're not and you haven't already, please make sure you follow and subscribe on whichever podcast platform you are listening along on. Hit those like buttons, five stars preferably, any complaint, abooker17 on Twitter, any positives, Amos Murphy underscore. Right, I'd like to start with the with the Wolves game, but I think we'd sort of have to jump ahead a little bit and start with the man who made the Wolves game, the Wolves game, and that is, of course, Kevin De Bruyne. We've waxed lyrical a number of times, there are plenty of platforms and uh, podcasts and outlets who have done exactly the same for a number of years but was that Kevin De Bruyne's best performance in a City shirt ever? 
I'd hesitate to say no. Um, I'm sure we could go back and find some some absolute sublime performances, but I don't think many of those performances would have resulted in four goals. And mm. um, I think also you have to take in, into consideration the timing in the season, what the game means, um, and, and things like that. I think it's arguably his most important in many ways. Okay, um, that's interesting. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe there's some some Champions Leagues in there, so but but there. but then again, none of those Champions League runs ended in anything. Yeah, so yeah. you know, if 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 this turns out to be a fourth Premier League in five years, we'll go and look back on the last few weeks in general of the performances that he's been putting in and been like, that guy. I won't. I hate. I hate the word carried. I hate yeah, the word carried because yeah, I. I, know I I think it does a disservice to the rest of the team, but he said, I'm going to win us this title. You guys are still doing great around me, but I'm winning this mm, title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know exactly what you mean because there are, I suppose there's some examples of a player carried a team, but then how often do those teams end up winning championships? Not very often because one man does not win a league title or a champions league or whatnot. So you spot on there, but it does feel like he's, He's top of the table, and he's not just top of the table in the Manchester City squad. He's top of the table in European football at the moment. I was interested in what you said about the um, it being his, his sort of most important because I definitely think some of those Champions League games. You know, I'm thinking even going back to 2015 with that 2015-16, um, sorry, that PSG quarter final, and you know, you suppose you could go back and say City don't progress there. The sort of the the progression in Europe's not back a little bit, but I I struggle to think of a more it's definitely his most productive, but I struggle to think of a performance where for the full 90 minutes, and you don't often get this when a player's on song because they either get taken off or they drop off, but even in the dying embers of that game, he, he hit the post. He, he could have had a fifth. And um, I think actually looking at some of those stats there, he scored all four goals with an XG of less than one, which is quite impressive, especially when you consider you know City's, City's lack of clinical edges, you'd be led to believe. And it, it is another one of those nights where we're looking at and going, this isn't just the best City player. This isn't just the best Premier League player. This is a man who could quite comfortably come the end of the year, pick up a Ballon d'Or. And that's not outlandish to say. It's not. And and I put on Twitter, I believe it was after the Newcastle game uh, last weekend, that I believe he's solidified himself as the best uh, Manchester City player of all time. And I'm going to mm. stick by that again after this Wolves game. Look, obviously we're we're in our twenties. We didn't see some of the the great teams in in the the seventies and 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 things like that. So we didn't see some of those players like you know your Colin Bell's and and your Franny Lees and Mike Summerbees. We obviously didn't get to see them play in the flesh and, yeah. and kind of take in their brilliance. But uh, certainly in my living memory, and that includes David Silva, that includes Yaya Torre. I I don't think I've seen a player at this club that goes to the same level as Kevin De Bruyne. I just don't. I don't think there there will be any time soon, and I don't think there ha- there has been in the past. So he's he's setting levels that are absolutely unbelievable. And to think of the the games that he's doing it in games that are going to go on to win titles, it's it's unbelievable. Some numbers then, um, because I suppose when you when you do this, it, it maybe doesn't look as impressive. But um, fifteen goals for the campaign. This is uh, off transfer market, so. Go to them if there's any if there's any discrepancies here. But 15 goals for the campaign, 13 goal, uh, 13 assists, sorry, as well on top of that. So 
28 goals and assist com- contributions. It's incredible stuff. But, you know, especially the last few weeks, you've been, you, you sort of think he's been getting about five per game. Um, but yeah, it, it really is astonishing. And, you know, we're looking now at the time where the awards start to get announced and the Football Writers Award was was announced a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, Mohamed Salah picked up that one. Um we spoke about the the PFA Player of the Year free P as it's been dubbed, and I actually think if we're, if we're looking back on it, he probably didn't deserve it last season. It could just happen though this season that, given the way the archaic way they do the voting, which seems to like they send the votes off just after they finish the Christmas dinner about four months ago, could be that he misses out and it does go to someone like Mohamed Salah who was who was bossing it in the first half of the campaign, but. Is there anybody in this division? Obviously, you and I, you know, it isn't just Manchester City focused here. We we watch a lot of football. But is there anyone in the Premier League that, if you take your blue tinted glasses off, you would say genuinely rivals De Bruyne this season? And sort of taking into account all of the campaign, going right the way back to that dark day at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium back in in the summer in August. Is he the best player this season? And, you know, I suppose if City end up with a, a league title, that may influence things. But if you were to announce it now, would you would he be getting your vote as a neutral? It's an interesting one because he wasn't great at the beginning of the season. Mm. Obviously, he came off of two pretty brutal injuries in the summer, the um, the fractured cheekbone and the concussion from last season's Champions League final, and then the, the ankle injury he picked up um, for Belgium. And he, he started off pretty slow. I mean, we had conversations on this podcast yeah, that yeah. was like, you know, does he need to be dropped or, or you know? And I always, I always campaigned for he's an undroppable player because yeah, eventually yeah. he'll click into gear, and and now we're we're reaping the rewards. But just putting me on the spot here, I can't think of anybody else that has reached this level. And now, mm. and now it's a level that he's doing week in, week out. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a flash in the pan level. Um, obviously the only other player in the league to, to put up kind of similar numbers and similar performances is Mo Salah, but, um, it was only, you know, a week or two ago that he hadn't had a a goal from, from open play since like January or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and you know, he didn't start yesterday against Villa. Um, so I can't see anybody else that's come close to the level um, that, that De Bruyne is putting out. So I, I do see him taking the three-peat, but there's been plenty of years where we felt like he's deserved it before and, it, and it's gone to somebody else. And, um, you know, when somebody like Jordan Henderson wins player of the year, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it- I think it's one of those. I think when when you listen to ex players speaking about it and they're going about the voting, and some of them have been like been pestered by the partners, like oh, you've got to send this off, blah blah blah. I really, really don't know in this modern age why they can't just. I don't know. Even now, like a couple of games before the end of the season, send out. I don't know a bloody text message or you know whatever it may be online. Press a button. Put your put your player in. Surely it's a Google form. Yeah, literally like. Uh, a third year dissertation has more sort of complexities and sort of or, or thesis to sort of translate it to the, to the ones across the pond. So yeah, it is. Um, it, it we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I, I fully expect the Borona not to end up with it, but that's just like you say the way we're seeing it. And you think to some of those Aguero seasons uh, and the fact he's not ended up with a Player of the Year, and, and you, you the mind does boggle. Even team of the season at some point. Um, 
any last words on Kevin De Bruyne? And then obviously you, you mentioned there there were, were moments in the season where it looked as if he may be dropped and that wouldn't have sort of gone against the grain. Gundogan was pushing for a starting place. Bernardo Silva was one of those players where we always go, oh, could he be the player of the season at the end of the year, blah, blah, blah. There's always that feeling though, wasn't there? Like you say, he could be putting on a three out of 10, four out of 10 performance pop up with a goal and win City the game I think perhaps Chelsea at home at the start of the the calendar year is one of those and now like you say he's taken his game to a completely new level and you think about the the certain signing City have announced this week could be scary times but not for us but not for us no look he's been incredible um there's almost like no more words to say about it the the fact that he did start off slow and you think kind of like the massive gap between the beginning of the season to where he is now and kind of how much he's improved, um, especially on a consistency level, which I think is the most important thing is when Kevin De Bruyne has been in his, you know, off spells, which we've seen a few here and there, um, it'll be, you know, he'll be, he'll be off for a couple of games and then he'll pop up with a, with a wonder game in between. And now it's, um, now it's huge games every mm-hmm. single week and and he's the man of the match every single game uh i'd be interested to just go look at like the last three or four months on you know fat mob or one football or whatever and see what his average rating is because i would imagine it's like 9.5 every <laughs> single game or something which is is unreal levels i think it was you actually after the the real madrid first leg who said it's getting to the point now where it's like Lionel Messi, where he has an ex- excellent game and it almost goes unnoticed. Obviously, the Wolves game is is not going unnoticed. It's being raved about, but it's almost at that level. I guess then I'll, I'll throw the last sort of topic on De Bruyne, a question of uh, the wider the wider sort of context of the squad and heading into next season. Obviously, we're led to believe, and it's looking increasingly likely, Fernandinho will depart and will end his incredible City career at the end of this campaign. That then leaves the captain armband vacant. Now, Pep Guardiola has often gone on record and said, there isn't one captain in this team. Interestingly enough, if you go back to the start of this season, De Bruyne was allegedly bumped down the order in terms of City's captains. One of those ahead of him being Ilkay Gundogan. Again, there's uh, evidence to suggest he might be on the move as well. Does he make a, an outright, outright claim to be Manchester City's out-and-out captain? I think the only one I can think of there who would challenge it is Ruben Diaz. But then you potentially look at the, the last couple of injuries Diaz has got and is he ready for it? He's only in his second season, you know, yet to that third campaign and things a little bit different. Is it going to be a system change? Will it suit him? Blah, blah, blah. Does Kevin De Bruyne, I suppose he does deserve it, but does Kevin De Bruyne at the start of next season start the campaign as Manchester City's captain? It'll be interesting because obviously, like you like you pointed out, there was you know a team wide vote, and that's not just players; that's staff and 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 other you know city personnel that mm-hmm. vote on that. Um, and obviously, he finished I think fourth in the in the voting, so to speak, it was, you know, Fernandinho, Diaz, Gundogan were the, yeah. the captain and two vice captains. Um, he certainly deserves it. Um, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't have any gripes if, you know, he's the vice captain and, mm. and Diaz is the captain or vice versa. I don't really think it makes that much of a difference because I don't necessarily think that without the captain's armband, he's less of a leader. And it's same with Ruben Diaz. I don't think if you, if you take the, the armband off of him that all of a sudden he stops shouting at people. So um, look, he certainly deserves it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see 
him come first in in the player voting if they do it again next season. Um, mm-hmm. But I think either way, you kind of can't lose there because uh, contrary to Patrice Evra's belief, there's a lot of <laughs> really strong characters and, and leaders in this team. And um, I think there's a number of kind of prime candidates for captaincy. I, if, if they do do that vote again, what I want to see is, you know, on like an election night when you've got, so it's a little bit different for you guys, but I've, I've stayed up and watched CNN a lot of times on US election night and you have all you have all the polit- political commentators coming out and going, there's a swing seat here, they've got votes here. I'd love to see that for City's captain vote. And they're going like having exit polls at the training ground, uh, sort of like Vox Pop in Nathan Ake to see where where his vote has gone and like all the campaigning stops. So that would that, be really fun to see. Um it's, it's interesting looking at De Bruyne's uh, record for City this season. The only two games he's missed since, what is this, Watford away back in early December have come in the Premier League fixtures sort of either... Oh, no, no, both have preceded Champions League games. So the, so the Norwich away was um, before the Sporting first leg and then obviously leads in between the Real Madrid tie. So we've sort of sort of attributed some of these niggly injuries to him. As of now, touch wood, it looks like he may be finishing the campaign with a clean bill of health, which is fantastic to see. But we will move along and we'll speak about the Wolves game in a sort of, in a wider context. A few takeaways from you then, just sort of leaving De Bruyne alone. Let's mute his name for now. What were your main sort of talking points? Obviously, we're we're recording quite after full time, so we've not had a lot a lot of time to take in the take in the win. But it was a blistering performance, really, wasn't it? And and one that came at a perfect time. I think the most important takeaway is that it was comfortable. Um, You know, obviously, Wolves um, got the goal back, made it one one, and you thought maybe we've seen this before. Malinu can can get up Mm. for it. Um, You know, we've seen City kind of capitulate there from time to time before. but it was comfortable, you know, obviously we've put his name on mute, but the fact that you do get the four goals from De Bruyne and, and you're, you're with either a two or a three goal lead for most of the game, mm. um, that you don't necessarily have to expend too much energy, whether it's physically or emotionally, um, you know, kind of hanging yeah. on, you don't have any sort of nerves and, and nerves and anxiety can physically exhaust you. So um, that's the biggest takeaway for me is, is not only is it a statement victory, you know, the old cliche of a statement victory, but, um, you kind of get the sense that once or two or three goals ahead, you can just pass the ball around in a circle. And they did that from time to time to time. I mean, Wolves had their little spells of looking a bit dangerous. Um, but, but after that city would kind of boss the possession for another nine to 10 minutes and, and take the clock down. So, it's it's funny because we've made so many comparisons to the 2018-19 run in which which obviously was brutal. It took many years mm. off of many people's lives. Um I remember watching most of those games crouched behind a couch and like <laughs> peering over the top of the couch like just hoping to god something went our way. Um that's not happening anymore. I'm sitting comfortably in my chair. Uh, and just enjoying the football, which I think that says everything about this run-in is that it's been pretty anxiety-free for a couple of weeks now. Well, I'm and- glad you enjoyed yourself, Adam, <laughs> because I was, uh, unsurprisingly, quite the nervous wreck. It was the most frustrating and nervous 5-1 win I think I've ever sat through. And obviously, a couple of those goals came late, but 
for me, I just constantly, constantly in my mind, I was replaying the 2019-20 um, game there, which you referenced, obviously, in the City 2-0 up. Um, Raheem Sterling goals, obviously Edison getting sent off. And there's a moment actually where Edison comes out and I think he ends up heading the ball quite comfortably. You know, it's a good header, but I'm thinking, oh my God, it's happening again. Um, obviously in, in that game, it was 2-0 up. In this game, it was 1-0 up. And I, if I'm going back to it, when Wolves equalised, I would say the panic stations would be impressed because obviously City scored quite early after it. But let's speak about that goal then because for me... That angered me a little bit because obviously City have defen- uh, def- defensive injuries at the moment and that seems to have been worsened. But that could be the worst goal I've seen City concede all season. And Fernandinho is not a centre-half. He's also closer to 50 than he is to the start of his career. He's been an incredible servant, but it was painful at, uh, to watch him try and defend on that and just sort of, I'm not going to say not be asked because obviously that's not true, but not really know where he was. He looked like a little, like a, a granddad who just walked out the the old person's home and just sort of looked a bit bemused and a bit bewildered. That could have been a very different game had De Bruyne not been on form tonight because City wasted chances, didn't they? Um, you know, it's been said before and, it, and, and I'm sure it'll be said again, but Raheem Sterling a couple and then pops up with a goal in typical fashion. Foden hits the post, obviously De Bruyne hit the post again. So on a different day, on a different night, the ball falls differently. The grass is cut a different, uh, a little bit differently as well. That could be a very difficult game. So it's remarkable really City come away with five when you sort of think back to how nervy things were perhaps in that sort of, I know, 10 minute spell. It could change a lot, couldn't it? But like I said, it could have been a very different game. It could have. Um, on the goal, the the positive I take away from that goal, which it was a it was a horrific goal. I, I totally agree with you. It's the worst goal they've conceded this season. It, it reminded me of the going back to the 2018-19 run in when, when we beat United at Old Trafford, and I believe it was Sane's goal that made it two 0 and kind of put the game to bed. And the entire United back yeah. four ended up in a in a <laughs> vertical line straight yeah. down the middle yeah. of the pitch. Um, and that's what kind of happened to Laporte and, and Fernandinho there. The the positive I take away from that is that that goal was conceded on really a miscommunication. Whether there was any communication, I don't know. But that was obviously a miscommunication between Laporte and Fernandinho about who's covering who. Um, and it wasn't a case of like, Fernandinho got beat in behind mm, by pace. Mm. It was more of like a, these two guys haven't played center back together, yeah, and that, that was it. That was they it. didn't deal with it differently. So you know, with we're going to talk about whether either of the two of them are playing at the weekend. But you know, if they have four days in training together to kind of tweak that um, and and kind of communicate and look at look at the the film and and talk about how they would deal with it next time, then then maybe it's it's avoidable in the future. So that's the only positive I would take away. But it was a horrific goal to concede. Um, but you know, you say uh, you say City were not not lucky to get five, um, but City could have also had nine or ten yeah, with some yeah, of the chances yeah, yeah. they created. Which is that's that's why I say that that I felt comfortable was it's one of those things that, and I get this feeling with Liverpool a lot is like. And we we've talked about this before. Is like they will match whatever level is thrown at them. Mm. So like if Wolves score again and get themselves back to the game and make it three two or four two, then then City then pick up their level again. 
and then you know run away with it again so like i said i i wasn't necessarily like lacking any anxiety at all um but it's a bit like real madrid in the champions league i was gonna say that with me yeah i was gonna say that this team has just done it so many times now that you just have to have full confidence in them. You just have to have full confidence in them. That no matter what players are on the pitch, what the situation is, in these Premier League title run-ins, they get it done by hook or by crook. And and that's the feeling that I had was we've been here before, we've gotten through these situations, and City with a two or three goal lead. You know, that 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 was it Dendocker that scored, I think, the, yeah, the yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first goal that City conceded away from home in the Premier League since Kyle Walker-Peters in January. I mean, if if, if that doesn't put confidence in you that they were going to see that game out, I don't know what will. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Obviously, the, the goal does come from two players who... I'm not sure if they've ever played centre-half together, potentially in 1920, uh, but then Laporte was out for a long time. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say they, they have, but definitely haven't regularly played together and, and I'm confident in saying probably won't ever play again with each other um, because obviously Fernandinho's leaving. Um, yeah, it was it was a fantastic a fantastic win, and it came obviously on the back of Liverpool cutting the deficit in pretty much the only way possible they could have done on what would it have been Tuesday night that they not so much scraped through because I think they probably had another goal in them somewhere, but they got the job done there, and and City got the job done in typical City fashion, scoring a shed load of goals. And now if we look at the Premier League this season, City have scored three or more goals fifteen times. They've scored four or more goals. 12 times they've scored five or more goals seven times and that that is I'm led to believe a record in Europe's top five leagues this season I think it's 94 for the Premier League campaign now City don't have a recognized striker obviously one's coming through the door we've done a lot of Erling Haaland news but it is official what were your sort of feelings as soon as that that we saw the tweet. We obviously guessed about what the announcement would be. We said black and white press release. It was a black and white press release. What were your announce what were your feelings around the announcement when you saw it in the flesh? Erling Haaland will be a Manchester City player. Um my feeling was excitement. I've I've said that before, and I wasn't surprised by the lack of excitement yeah. in the in the announcement. Um, especially because City are still involved in, in important games. I I didn't expect City to almost make it like something worth celebrating in a way. Like they mm. were it was just a club statement. This is what's happened, you know, and then once this season ends, then I think it becomes more of the the videos and the the interviews and, and things like that. I think it was um I think it was good planning by the club to just no, not even an exclamation point in there. Just <laughs> we have signed Holland. That's all they should have done. We it, have signed Holland. Tweet. Yeah, it reflects the man himself, doesn't it? Because you think about this robotic machine, Erling Haaland is. Perhaps the flashy announcements aren't really his thing. You know, if on the other end of the spectrum, the marketing, the marketing absolute gold dust in in Jack Grealish, and then on the other end, you've just got Erling Haaland who wakes up, goes to work, and scores goals. Um. Yeah, it, it's scary. It's scary, the thought of, of what you can do. And to be honest, I think I'll, I'll go on record and say, I, I think on, on Sky Bet it is here in the UK, he's he's the favourite to win the Golden Boot next year. And I was listening to um, Andrew, obviously, from the Main Road Ramble, and he was saying, if you've got money, go and lump it on Harlem being the Golden Boot winner for next year. I don't actually think it will, will be that seamless. I think 
we often underestimate how good the Premier League is and, and the Bundesliga is a fantastic league to watch. It's fantastically to sort of be involved in. It's a fantastic league for him to have gone and, and sort of learned his trade. But then you do get the odd game against a, a Greuther for or a Paderborn last season. You know, a team where they come up for a season and often more often than not go down for the next season. So, you know, the Premier League is a tough league. I don't think he'll win the Golden Boot first time around, but if he is here for the, the five years of his contract or four years, then it will, it will be fantastic. Um, let's mix the two, the final two topics into each other then, because they do sort of encompass one another. Injuries, we saw Imeric Laporte go off. <sighs> the most frustrating thing that for me here. And I suppose you could balance it out and say, well, he made a crucial tackle a bit later on. But it's another injury we've seen a player play on. Now, it looks as if it's just a knock and not a muscle injury compared to Fernandinho's, which is supposedly a muscle injury and, and maybe looking like he's, he's going to miss West Ham at least. But Imeric Laporte is Manchester City's last, or at least before tonight, was Manchester City's last fit centre-half. Nathan Ake came on when I would hazard a guess Pep Guardiola wouldn't have wanted to throw him in there. That's a frustrating sort of element to this game, isn't it? You come away with a 5-1 win, you take it, but then you, when you look back and think, oh shit, we've lost another defender. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, I have a sneaky feeling Laporte plays at West Ham. Um I think it might be the kind of thing that like that Pep Guardiola is looking at that as the kind of the final potential bogey game and is like, give us 60 minutes or so, something yeah. like that to just like... Like we've seen in the Champions League with the likes yeah. of Walker and Stones. Yeah, which, you know, clearly didn't work out um, <laughs> with Walker and Stones, but there's only a few games left in the season. Um, Nathan Ake seems like he'll probably be fully fit by then. There was plenty of talk that he could even start tonight's game mm. against Wolves. Um, so he's obviously coming back to full fitness quicker than maybe we had expected a few days ago. Um, the Fernandinho one is tough because it's a muscle injury. You could probably put your house on that that being the last time we actually see him in a city kit, which is pretty brutal. Yeah, it's heartbreaking really when you think to, of it. To go out it? that way. Um, but... Look, if if Nathan Ake is fit and you can maybe stick um, Rodri in next to him for the, the West Ham game and play a midfield of Bernardo, uh, De Bruyne and Gundogan, you're not going to you're not necessarily going to to automatically lose a game by by multiple goals. You know what? The, the thing that we tend to forget about is like, oh, that's that's a really risky back four or whatever. But City have the ball most of the game. Same thing tonight. Laporte and 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 Fernandino didn't have that much to deal with because mm. City had the ball most of the game and, and they had a lead most of the game. So I think Laporte is the the big one. If if Laporte gets healthy by West Ham, then I think we're in the clear. But um, it'll be squeaky bum time for sure to see if he gets back to full fitness. I get what you're saying with the City keep the ball, and, and we saw that especially when Laporte went off. The game plan switched from hellbent attacking to turn it into a training session and patient build up. And I suppose you'd probably get that even if Laporte stayed on, given the way the game was going. But my worry here is the fact that. I've watched a lot of West Ham this season and I've enjoyed watching a lot of West Ham this season, particularly in the Europa League. They are a blistering attacking team. I'm thinking likes of Mikel Antonio. I'm thinking of the likes of Jared Bowen, who for me should be knocking on Gareth Southgate's door and getting into his England team. I, I really do 
see him as a top talent and I see him as a talent that probably ends up at Liverpool at some point in his career, which is mad considering he was um, he was playing non-league football at one point for Hereford, which is, is a crazy little start. Um, and, I, and I'm looking at the likes of uh, around it as well, Declan Rice, the energy he brings from midfield. And if you take Rodri out of that midfield, we had this chat, what was it? about 72 hours ago wasn't it saying take Rodri out of that midfield and I won't use this I won't use the pun again the pegs pun as it came in for a bit a little bit of slack but um you almost create more problems for yourself don't you and, and like you say if Laporte's capable of 60 minutes is that better than perhaps starting Rodri there and then trying to move Gundwan into central defensive midfield and the the painful flashbacks of a, a Porto Champions League final or do you just go, Rodri, you stay where you are. Kevin De Bruyne, you do exactly what you're doing. Gundwan or Bernardo, you do exactly what you were doing as well. And then we'll sort what happens out behind us. And if Nathan Ake starts, you're then probably only going to have to fill one spot. And City, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say a crawling towards the line and hopefully a, another Premier League title, but it definitely feels like they're clinging on a little bit at the back, aren't we? And I think for the first time in a while, we saw Edison make some some big saves that we haven't necessarily seen him have to do in the last last couple of weeks, really. Yeah, I think I'll probably stick by what I said on the last episode, which is you just feel like for like in that situation and you keep every, every, every other aspect of the team the way it is. Um, mm. it's, it's a weird one. I think... I just have this feeling Laporte plays against West Ham. If it's a um, knock, he probably should be okay, shouldn't it? If it's a, yeah. a case of having some ice in it, hell, even an injection, if it's that bad, you know, just get through that game and then hopefully by the time Aston Villa rolls around in seven days' time, you can do that. And then that's the season done. Like, don't even worry about the international break uh, in, yeah. in June or whatever. Just just get through these. If If he plays... I don't know what, 120 minutes of the next two games. I think we do well in that case. Yeah, and and look, a Nathan Ake and half of Imeric Laporte centre-back pairing <laughs> is good enough to... Look, th- this is one thing that I don't like this type of thinking, but City have a cushion now. They can draw a game and win on the final day and be fine. They can lose a game by a goal or two and... Liverpool is still going to have to win by four or five on, on the on the back end, which you obviously don't want to leave it up to that kind of thing. But thankfully, there is a small cushion here for City to, you know, if the game is is one one in, in in the eighty fifth minute or whatever, you don't necessarily have to go hell bent trying to 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 win the game and, and risk giving up goals at the other end with a, a shoddy defense, so to speak. Um, I don't necessarily like that thinking, but it has to be pointed out that. City's stellar performances in attack the last few games, and obviously Liverpool's one one game dropping points against Tottenham has has given us a cushion. Um, so, yeah, I think if if we're talking hypothetical and there's absolutely no Laporte on Sunday, um, then it's Nathan Ake and do we do you put a kid in there? Luke Mbete, I suppose. Do you put Luke Mbete in there? I, what would he be up against, Michael Antonio? That's that's a t- that's a challenge. That's a real big challenge. So what are what are your other options? It's Rodri, and you maybe throw the the midfield out of whack. But if it's not Rodri, what are your other options? You don't really have any. No, no. Um, <laughs> Joao Cancelo, and then 
Gabriel Jesus. It right? I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather cut my leg off. <laughs> to be honest, I know I, I know exactly what you mean, but but if Luke and Bette is there, and it isn't, and there is no um, there is no Laporte and, and Nathan Ake, I personally, and I'm not a Champions League winning, multiple Premier League winning manager, and. I, albeit have hair, but don't look nearly as good as Pep Guardiola. I stick Luke and Bette there, but I say that behind a, a computer screen and a microphone. So that you know, it, it, it's down on him. And and these are these are the untangibles, really, aren't they? And um, yeah, let's just hope the the Wolves the the Wolves journey home up the M6 is not uh, one where Laporte's in agony and he wakes up tomorrow morning feeling a little bit bruised. But but come Sunday afternoon. In what I think will be quite a raucous London Stadium, let's touch on that finally. Um, West Ham, thanks to the incompetence of Manchester United Football Club, do have an opportunity to jump into the Europa League with two games remaining. Here's how it sits in sixth and seventh. Obviously, Manchester United currently holding that last Europa League spot, which I think would obviously be their preference. They don't want to drop into the Europa Conference League, but United in the Europa League in recent years have have done well, um, relatively speaking. They have played 37 because they, they're not in action this weekend due to Chelsea's FA Cup final. They're on 58 points. They have a goal difference. I shouldn't laugh really, but they have a goal difference of plus two. So if they lose to Crystal Palace by two goals on the final day... Um, they finished the season without a positive goal difference. That's that's unthinkable, really, isn't it? Um, West Ham, however, they're in seventh. They've played 36, so they've got two games remaining, starting with City on Sunday. They're on 55 points, so three behind United, and they have a goal difference of, I think it's plus 12. Um, yeah, I think it's plus 12. So they've got a superior goal difference, one which you would expect to be worthy of an extra point, really. Two wins for West Ham United. They're back in the Europa League group stage. Defeat, they've got a lot to do on the final day. So we've gone from a situation, really, of looking at West Ham going, they will they might be in the Europa League final, which would take place, I think it's the midweek in between the final game of the season. Um, they'll probably rotate a lot, of, a lot of players if they get to there. That's not happened. They've bounced back superbly from uh, crashing out the Europa League to Frankfurt. 4-0 win. OK, it is relegated Norwich, but it's still a 4-0 win. They now know two two wins from their final two games puts them into a place where they absolutely relished it this season. They got to a semi-final of the European competition. That stadium's going to be right up for it, isn't it? It is. Um, I felt that way going into Molyneux. And I think City just play a style of football that is perfect for quieting a raucous crowd. If you can keep the ball for three or four minutes straight and and the other team literally does not get a touch on it it quiets a crowd um i actually think that the etihad's atmosphere sometimes is is solely down to city's style of play because second that. There is, yeah second that. yeah um this this team has just put so much confidence in me in the last few years that even if we're looking at a, a center back pairing of you know nathan ake and luke and bete that they're going to get the goals. They're going to get timely goals. Um, and it could be a case of having to just outscore West Ham. But would you would you doubt a, a front six or a front five of De Bruyne, Bernardo, Phil Foden, Gabriel Jesus, and Riyad Mahrez to, to you know be, be shut out by the likes of Craig Dawson and, and Aaron Cresswell? Probably not. So it might be a case of having to, to outscore them on the day. Um, it could be, you know, a bit of a shootout. But 
I just don't see that happening because I think City are going to go in and they're they're still going to be able to control the game. And a lot of City's control comes out wide and, and you're going to have Cancelo on one side and Zinchenko on the other, and they're fantastic at keeping the ball and, and controlling things. So I think we have to remind ourselves that no matter who the center back pairing is, City will have more of the ball. They'll create a ton of goal scoring opportunities like they normally do. Um, and that's that's only going to benefit them on the day. So it's not great. The potential center back pairing, West Ham have a lot to play for. It, it feels like it could be a recipe for disaster, but I just, with this team, I just, I have so much confidence in them in these games. I just, I can't, I can't say that enough that I have so much confidence in them. And basically since that final day at Brighton in 2019, I have, I have no reason to doubt them in games like this, and I'm not going to start now. Yeah, well put, really well put. Um, final point then today, looking at it on a sort of a wider context, is it possibly, in in terms of the Premier League, you know, solely thinking about the Premier League and, and getting that done, is it maybe a good thing City got knocked out of the Champions League? Because we're looking at a, a case now where... There are not a lot of fit players in this Manchester City team, particularly at the back. And if we were looking at it going well in, what would it be on on this weekend, two weeks' time, by the time the Villa game comes, seven days' time, or or even six days' time, it's on the Saturday. Do we start resting players? Does the sort of the attention go elsewhere? And obviously we saw the reaction in the Newcastle fixture, which was phenomenal. It was a superb performance, probably like a, a close to as perfect performance after a result like that. Do City slip? If they don't have a if if they have a Champions League final to look forward to or look ahead to, and it's a game like West Ham away where now that is the be all and end all for City. That is their final. Put it that way. You know, Pep spoke about it a lot. It's a managerial cliche. Every game's a final. You know, laymen like us probably get a little bit bored of hearing it. But when you sort of immerse yourself in the dressing room and the way that did think about things, you can see actually, yeah, you know. We either, we either now end the season trophyless or we go away to West Ham and, and we welcome Villa on the final day and we get results and we end up as Premier League champions. They're the margins now. And if City have a Champions League final in, in 14 days, days' time or whenever it is, that adds a spanner in the works that potentially diverts attention and who knows, a slip-up comes from that. It's an interesting question. I think... Um... It's the kind of thing that would you rather be in a Champions League final? Yes, of course. Um, but does City's Premier League run in um, benefit from getting knocked out? Yeah, it yeah, does. Yeah. Um, and I think you know it's 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 hard to say. I've seen people saying something along the lines of you know I wouldn't want to go into a Champions League final against Liverpool with this back four and and the injuries we have and and stuff, but. It's worth pointing out that when we got the news of of Kyle Walker, John Stones, and Ruben Diaz being out for the season, um, out for the season really only meant two weeks mm. because that's all that was left in the season. So we don't actually know the extent of those injuries. There's there's every chance in the world that that Ruben Diaz was back fit by May 28th. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and maybe it's just one of those weird blessings from the football gods that. Um, it's it's helped us kick on in the Premier League and, and close out this title. But yeah, interesting question. 
Yeah, I, I get what you mean, but I don't. For me, one thing I hate, I really hate, is you know, on like a build up to a final, and you don't know if a player's back or not, and they're, they're going to be fit, and then you realise they're in the team, and you're like, yes, 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 and then twenty minutes in or whatever, suddenly an injury crops up. You, you see it quite a lot in, in international football, and um, a few sorrows are, are drowned following that. But yeah, it, it, it's crazy because I suppose if City do get across the line and, and win the Premier League, you change the question to. Do you have City winning the Premier League or do you chance it and have City potentially winning the Premier League and the Champions League or losing out on both? goes without saying, in this parish, you know what our answer is. Um, I guess then, like I said, it's going to be a quickish episode. This will do. We, we've touched on an awful lot and, and we've sort of gone over a few topics. But Adam, is there anything else before we get out of here that you want to bring up? There is not. Um, what is next? West Ham... Villa, two games, get a, a fourth title in five years and um, let the reinforcements come in in the summer. And look, it was obviously a devastating defeat at, at Madrid last week. Um, but you can't help just be being on top of the world as a City fan right now. Mm. I mean, mm. the team is all, all but you know in, in pole position for a fourth Premier League in five seasons. Um, Pep Guardiola, the, the rumors are he's going to be extending his contract soon. Erling Holland is coming in. Um, it's it's a great time to be a blue at the moment, and I think everybody should remind themselves of that because um, we need to remind ourselves from time to time that we could be united in ten years' time, and mm. the and days probably will the- at one point probably will. Yeah. It, you know, banter years are around the corner, and you just don't know how long these these glory days last for. Yeah, absolutely. So live it up right now. Have a Guinness in the middle of the day, like I am. If you're <laughs> if you're in a different time zone and games are kicking off at nine a.m., have yourself have yourself a drink and and enjoy it. <laughs> that is not an advert for any drinking responsibly, is it? You know, blah blah blah. Drink responsibly, not if you called Adam Booker. Um, yeah, that's superb. We'll leave it there then, as always. If you can. Hit follow, subscribe, all of that juicy goodness. Um, leave a rating and a review, five stars preferably. I mean, five stars for five City goals. That, that's how it works, isn't it? So if you hit five stars, we score five goals again. Um, that's just that's just the laws of the universe, really. Um, other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure. We will be back again after the West Ham United Touchwood victory. Um, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. Thank you very much for listening to the City Report podcast. See you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? 
at participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.